Hello and welcome to episode two of the Hardcore Finance Show. If you are smart and astute, you will see that Shimo and I are wearing the exact same thing. Did we record this thing back to back, you ask? No, we just wear the same clothes. How are you, Shimon? I'm very good. I have a special hanger where I hang my clothes from part one so I can just like, you know, use them for part two. Good. Me too. Me too. It's just, it's like you get back in the rhythm of things. You're wearing the same shirt, the same pants, you know, you same kind of feels like you want to just keep on going. Well, it's not by chance that your shirt and my shirt make up the Ukraine flag because that's our main topic for today. <laughs> Let's talk about Russia and Ukraine. Last time we talked, we talked about how, what's going to happen to Russia. So Let's bring the audience up to speed. We're recording on the 19th of September, uh, even though this will probably come out in, in a week or two. At this point in time, Ukraine just finished a, uh, basically Ukraine launched counteroffensives, two counteroffensives, one in the south, which is taking a little bit longer, liberating Kherson and other cities, one in the north that's going to Luhansk, and to liberate a lot of the little towns there. And basically, the the one in the north has been, uh, both have been fairly su- successful, although the one in the south, is, there are a lot more casualties. The one in the north and east uh, broke through the Russian lines. They went to Izum and other, uh, uh, and other very strategic cities uh, uh, there. And the Russian army, uh, by all accounts, many times just is fleeing. And so what what I'd like to talk to you about today is a couple of interesting things. One, there's more and more criticism from the media about Putin and why that's the case. That's so part one. Part two is, you know, the next Russia. What's going to happen with Russia? Um, and even the, I read this interesting analysis of Navalny. Navalny is uh, the chief a kind of critic of Putin and the one that wants to align Russia closer to the West, open up the democracy and so on and so forth. He's jailed out. Putin, of course, jailed him. There's a great um, CNN, I believe, documentary about him, which is fantastic. And about Bellingcat, uh, who uh, Bellingcat is a Bulgarian and European investigative, uh, uh, investigative service. There's a guy named um, Cristo. How do you pronounce Christo his last name? Grozev. Grozev, our Bulgarian brother, Shimon's Bulgarian brother, who's been the chief. He's incredible. He's, he speaks fluent English, fluent Russian, fluent Bulgarian, obviously. Uh, he's brought to justice a lot of the, the people behind in the Kremlin that have you know, done assassination attempts, try to poison the volume and so on. And so there's a lot of kind of moving pieces in Russia, but there's a there's a great piece by, by uh, they, they came out about how Russia fundamentally, like why is this war happening? They've definitely been provoked by NATO. But beyond that, Russia is a country of memes and a country of symbolism and where they see Ukrainians as less than. It's kind of what, let's say, uh, coastal elite to the way they see rednecks. You know, sure, everyone deserves to live, but there's definitely a judgment of the coastal elites towards the middle of the country, the rednecks, and, you know, 
like hex as they're called in the, in the US, which is a bit of a derogatory term, but I'm using it strategically because the Russians call Ukrainians, um, they, they call them the Hukol. Hukol is like this little hick from the country, all Ukrainians. There is fundamentally a caste system uh, in, the Russian, in the Russian eyes. We are Russians, we are higher, Slovi- uh, um, uh, real Slovaks, if you will. Slavs. Slavs, sorry, Slavs, um, and and Ukrainians aren't, and they want to be Russian. They're speaking this funny language, Ukrainian, which is kind of derivative of Russian um, in the dialect, but they are less than. So when people say it's a genocidal war, it's not that all the Russians want to wipe Ukrainians off the map. And genocide is a bit of a strong word. But it is very much a racist war. It is very much a less than we want to wipe Ukraine off the map. Ukraine, the borders for many of the patriotic Russians, Putin included, and and obviously others, those borders are fake borders. It's like if Texas said we are independent. We're like, no, Texas is part of the U.S. So let let me just actually turn over to you there. I think this is what you read. Now, now I want to talk about warlords and what's going to happen to the country geopolitically, especially now that there's a war over the dollar, a war over gas. There's going to be many shifts over the next 10 years that we should talk about here. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm no expert on the region, so I don't, uh, I, I don't, I can't really add to anything that you said. Uh, I just, uh, I remember I had a history professor once that basically said World War One and World War Two are basically Europe Civil War number one and Europe Civil War number two. Like it, yes, there was also in World War Two, you know, the Pacific Front. But if you just look at Europe, it's like a civil war among warring nations. So, like, just from the outside, that's how I look at it in terms of like, you know, there's Russia, Belarus, Ukraine. All of these were kind of the same. Uh, you know, USSR block. And then after the USSR uh, basically fell, uh, each country decided to go in slightly different ways. Um, you know, Russia... Those are serious times there, my friends. Uh, Ukraine decided to give up its nuclear weapons, which uh, in retrospect, I think that's one thing that worries me a lot that this war really proves you know for iran and for all these other countries it really basically makes the case that nuclear weapons are important uh which is pretty terrifying to me uh but that's pretty much the only thing i like as, as far as i can tell it's just like you know tribes fighting amongst each other and yeah there's also the country uh, borders, and then there's the agreement with NATO and this and that. I really don't understand why the U.S. wants to expand NATO. Like, that's one thing. It really doesn't make sense to me because, like, what can you, what difference does it make, you know, if you're part of NATO or if you're not part of NATO? Like, the tanks are still the same tanks, and, you know, basically the U.S. controls everything. It's not like NATO can do something that the U.S. doesn't want them to do. And it's not like a country that's not in NATO could do something that the U.S. doesn't want them to do if they're part of that ideological block, you know, free trade and, you know, Western values and so forth. So that's the one thing I don't understand. It's like everybody's making a big deal of Finland and whatever, you know, joining NATO. Like, I don't understand how it changes anything. 
but yeah, no, I, I really don't get what Russia is doing. Like, what, what were they hoping to get by, even if they would have their dream scenario of like taking over the capital, you know, immediately like arresting the whole government, then what would they have? I, I don't know. Like, I really don't know what, why they're doing what they're doing. But back well, to you. Well, he, he thought he would, and maybe you can ask me questions and then here i'm i'm just like watching the news but you know don't have any knowledge beyond that so the couple a couple of interesting um uh things that came out so look putin one thought this would be over in a few days and they were under this illusion that the ukrainians actually want russians like thank god that you know the russians are here to rescue us i think there were a lot of them were actually from whom that's what i didn't understand what was his idea like to rescue them from what from from zelensky from the ukraine from the Ukrainian Cossacks. Look, okay, if we're very fair, you know, he's, there are neo-Nazis in Ukraine. There are neo-Nazis in Ukraine. A lot of them. Nazis everywhere. There's neo-Nazis exactly. in Russia. There's neo-Nazis like in Arab countries. Do I think all the Arabs are neo-Nazis? No, absolutely not. There's <laughs> definitely. Exactly. Yeah. No, for, exactly. That's the point, right? And, there, and the irony is that there are neo-Nazis are one of the, but on the front lines are fighting for Russia in Ukraine against neo-Nazis, right? So, so in the Ukrainian Cossacks, kind of the, this bravado, we're always, there is a little bit of a soul, like Russian versus Ukrainian, who speaks what? Just like there is in every country that has multi-ethnic, right? Just like there is in every country. So they thought they could come in and, and get rid of the, the government and saw public government and then essentially control the borders without racing borders. That clearly didn't work. Now, what's happened because of sanctions is that Russia is now running out of uh, Western arms. They're actually using surface-to-air missiles for surface-to-surface. They're using... Do you know about this? No, no, but Um, it makes sense. It's just like uh, Kim Jong-un killing his uncle with uh, anti-aircraft guns. It's like... Really? Yeah. He wanted to make a point. <laughs> so. well, the irony is that Russia is now buying weapons from North Korea, from Iran, and others. They're going to North Korea to, to do weapons. And I heard it's this. amazing because Iran's drones didn't like perform according to the specs or something. I oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> they bought a bunch of drones from there. It's like, sorry. Also, like, I'm pretty sure that the U.S. knows how to deal with Iran Iranian drones. Like, if I had <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so that's true. Well, they need drones of some sort. So, and they're running out of people. So they, in the beginning of the war, so many generals, I think it was like 10, seven generals were killed, two Putin removed, and then seven others were turned over, something along those lines, like 14 to 18 generals, essentially, of the old guard have been changed over. Hundreds of colonels, and, and like between general and colonel. So very senior on the ground leaders, let alone captains and so on and so forth. So they're losing men and they're starting to recruit. There was a video that surfaced. Did you see the, the jail recruiting video? Yeah. It's, it's Prigozhin, which is one of the top uh, you know, uh, people in, in the Kremlin, is inside of a jail in the yard, like basically telling people that if you join, you will commute your sentence and you have to give me six months. Now, here's the crazy part about it. that He's literally signaling that he, because um, he's recruiting for these guys called Wagner, you know, the, the Wagner force. The Wagners are essentially the mafia, Russian mafia. They have their own people. 
So he's recruiting for the Wagner group convicts, some of them like heavy convicts, and he's commuting their sentence. He's signaling that he himself is above the law. It's illegal to just come into jail and say, hey, you come with me, and if you give me six months, you don't have to go, you know, I mean, die here. What do you mean by illegal? Like, who makes the laws? It's well, like... according to Russian laws, it's illegal still. Yeah. I mean, think about it. A private citizen that comes into the maximum security prison goes, hey, guys, if you go into the war with me, don't worry about the rest of your sentence. What? I mean, what I've heard is that Kadyrov and all of these guys, um, mm-hmm. they operate like criminal. They basically help Putin. And in exchange, they have these cards that basically say, you know, I'm part of this special whatever force. And so they have their own mafia dealings in uh, their own like Chechnya, whatever territory. But like if someone pisses them off in Chechnya and runs away to Moscow, they can just abduct him from the middle of the street in Red Square and if a policeman comes to them and is like, excuse me, kind sir, why are you shoving this person into the trunk of this car? They can just show him this card and then the police knows to like not arrest them. So speaking about above the law, I just think Putin is the law, like whatever the, you know, the written law says, whatever Putin wants to do. Well, so this is it's a perfect segue to my point. So then Kadyrov is the guy from Chechnya. It's actually a potent puppet installed to, to run Chechnya. Uh, ironically, he came to power because he was against Russian aggression. And when he, get, he got close to power, he sided with Putin. Now he's Putin's little boy. So you have two warlord factions. This Wagner guys and Prigozhin and then Kadyrov. And each one of them, Kadyrov got famous for going. He was in Ukraine and they would, he would be, him and his people would shoot more TikTok videos to advertise themselves actually be in war. They would film themselves shooting at empty buildings and whatever, pretending to be in a firefight when literally it was off with TikTok, which is just like next level stuff here. But you know, like these uh, yeah. teenager TikTok videos. So now it's like the Kadyrov challenge. The Kadyrov challenge. Exactly. Exactly. Well, here's what's scary to me is that you have a, the whole point of nuclear weapons and non Basically said, hey, we don't we trust nuclear weapons in only certain countries because other countries that don't have the right security, these weapons can get into the hands of terrorists and mafia and so on and so forth. Right? That's literally what what the point of non-proliferation is, so that we don't abuse these weapons and somebody accidentally doesn't shoot. Russia now is falling apart into warlords. You have Putin and the Kremlin kind of mafia, high you know society mafia. You have Prigozhin and the Wagner guys. And then you have Kadyrov and his Kadyrovites that are in Chechnya. And the fact that you have one the, the, a nuclear power that's disintegrating into a kind of Mad Max, warlord, you know, uh, di- di- uh, like diabolical land is a bit scary to me, right? It's a bit scary. And the fact that, again, Putin completely miscalculated. NATO is expanding. Finland and Sweden are going to go into NATO. Forget even Ukraine. Ukraine is going to go to the European Union. Um, Russia as a like society is starting to break down. They don't have industry. They have a ton of corruption. It creates a lot of inefficiencies. Now you have two competing warlords. The only media in Russia that's allowed to speak poorly against Putin are the ultra-right-wingers. Putin allows them to speak poorly against them, so he looks more rational, you know? 
So like, at least I can be a rational choice because if I go look at these other guys that are going to come in. But it's becoming it's becoming quite a dangerous place, actually. I'm not very bullish on, on Russia in the medium to long term. I, I don't, don't know where this country is going to go. I'm not bullish on Russia at all because they, they've never been able to like really um, become a world power. If you think about it, they've always been like a, region, a regional power. But every time they were on the cusp of becoming a world power, they kind of screwed it up. I mean, just think after communism collapsed, that, that part I know a little bit of a because I lived through it, but also because like I read a lot of history. So they really had an opportunity to open up to the West. Like I think something like McKinsey wrote their constitution or something, you know, it's like it was fully, fully the West was hoping and not necessarily as a bad thing, because if you think of China, you know, say what you will about China, but they were always much more, you know, potent on the global stage, except like in the 19th and early 20th century, that was like their kind of century where they, they got a bit derailed, but they were always very, very prominent. Russia never became very prominent. Every time they, they kind of found a way to screw it up. So I'm definitely not bullish on Russia, but let me ask you, what do you think uh, are the practical kind of implications of this war? Uh, I have some ideas about how basically the way COVID sped up technology uh, this is going to speed up energy development on many fronts. We touched about it a little bit on the previous um, on the previous podcast, but basically, you know, I want to be very bullish on energy. Energy should be something that that is it, it's a problem that's being solved technologically. Now it's just a matter of like let's build it. Like there's no question about how to give enough energy to to everybody. The only question is like how to actually implement it. Like yeah. I think it sped it up, but uh, that's the one thing I. I think is good, but what what do you think will be the implications of this war outside the region? Yeah, look, for sure it's sped it up. For sure, for sure, for sure. The question is how how, how fast to build a nuclear power plant takes years. Let's call it ten years to build, maybe a little bit less. But you got a zoning, you got a scope. It. I mean, there's a lot now with Russia shelling Ukrainian power plants. You better believe the new ones are gonna. Have to withstand, you know, any kind of war efforts or bombing. The old, old ones do as well. The shelling of nuclear power plants is a little bit sensationalized by the media. It's like, oh my God, this plant is going to blow up. No, it's not. They're yeah. built to withstand earthquakes and shelling and, and bombs going off in the center. So, and it's not even blowing it. Like the the meltdown is a specific type of reaction. So, like I think, you know, my father was a nuclear engineer. I I know only a little bit about it, but from what I understand. If you have a bunch of explosives in the core and you just like detonate it, it's not going to be too bad. Like some, some radiation will escape. But what people are afraid about, uh, we're afraid of is when it kind of gets out of control. And that has nothing to do with, with like destroying. Yeah. yeah. So look, so there's so, so, but any new nuclear power plant will be built with, you know, even more advanced specifications in the case this happens again. The point is it takes a while to build. And, and, but hopefully in 10 years, we will build a lot of nuclear. Maybe this is going to be the catalyst for the new bull run, right? We're going to have this bull run ending at some point. We'll have three or four years of a bear market. Or maybe this is the catalyst of a new bull run. Hey, all this new energy is coming online, plus AI, right? Plus electric vehicles. And maybe it's like free energy. It was, I was in Iceland recently. I was speaking with one of our classmates. 
He's like, yeah, electricity here, water and electricity are cheap. Like people don't think about, you know, it's like an abundance because they have all geothermal. It's renewable. It's 100% renewable. Water is clean from glaciers, you know. So you have 100% renewable energy. It's like use more of it. No problem. It's, it's half the cost of the United States. So yeah, the nice thing is that there. everything is downstream of, of energy, not just in terms of production, but also in terms of like, productivity of individual people, the more energy they control, the more productive they can be. And it works on so many levels. It works both from a, if you take like a village where like people have to spend a lot of their time going to get clean water from like a well that might be away and stuff and boiling yeah. it where they can use it. Like think of all this time that's been wasting. So even as a villager, if, if you grow crops, uh, if you solve people's like water problems, which is also just a function of energy, um, you know, productivity can go up, not to talk about like the Western advanced markets where like the more energy you have, the more productive you are. So like I, in a sense, it's made me think a lot about, you know, Bitcoin, people say it's cool because like, it's something that you can use energy, uh, to do that's not limited by, you know, physical demands. Like, you know, cause like there's a cap to physical, how much energy you need in terms of physical demands. But I'm thinking like, just in general, if we can unleash more energy, like literally joules per capita on a global scale, that will be very, very good for the economy. I think we're not even scratching the surface. No, like, no. And that's why, I, you know, when people are bearish about the stock market or whatever, that it's, it's all about like, to your point from the previous episode, it's all about the time scale. Like in the short term, yeah, sure. You can say we have all this debt and unsustainable or whatever, but like, even at like 300% debt to GDP currently, like the GDP should like double itself every like what, 10 years, 20 years, like every certain amount of time, the GDP should double. And so give it enough time and the debt is not a problem. So I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of how to harness natural resources, which are energy, which are like human ingenuity, which are land and how to develop them so we can like create more. You know, I just want to touch also on, on AI and stuff like AI can really help uh, again, save time, like this, this, uh, stable diffusion and all of these like image generating, um, you know, um, AI software, that's just scratching the surface of what AI can do. Uh, and so I don't know, I, I'm just like optimistic about the future and I just hope that it doesn't take too long to fix all of these problems. So, like if people now start arguing about stuff and, and don't agree on things, that's the main blocker. It's not that we don't know how to do it, it's that we cannot agree on like what to do. And so in that's that an interesting case, point. Yeah, I think the Russia Russia basically did us a very big favor. Uh, in the long run, in the in long the run. run. And, and yeah, because it was about time to get off of kind of fossil fuels and we were messing around with it, messing around with it. This is gonna, this is gonna cause us to actually get off fossils uh, in the right way and through nuclear. Because all these, the, the green folks, you know, would. The ESG would be like, oh, nuclear is not good. That was idiotic, idiotic. Nuclear is the only way to create uh, uh, a green economy and get off fossil fuels. The only way. And we need a bridge. But I think there's that. And I think because the U.S. conversely used the dollar as a weapon, we're going to get off the dollar, at least as the major reserve currency of the world. Like, look at even Russia right now and China are are building a basket, uh, basically a commodities basket to back a new uh, currency between Russia and China. And I think this will give the room for Bitcoin. 
to enter the space. Yeah, no, I think it's very good for Bitcoin. And I also think like, just imagine the, the innovation that can happen once you start um, developing. Like I remember in Israel, there was droughts all the time. And like all my childhood, they were just talking about like, save water, you know, don't take showers that are too long. We don't have water. People said the next um, Middle East war will be over water, not over oil. And then suddenly they just built a bunch of desalinization plants because you are by the by the sea, right? So then it just became a non-issue. Like nobody's talking about conserving water anymore. And Israel is exporting all of these technologies to all of the Middle East and, and to other places. Like I think they did a contract with LA because like LA had water problems. So Israel built some desalinization plants. So just think about it. If Israel didn't have that problem, they wouldn't develop the technology to solve it. But then the other parts of the world would not benefit from it. Because like, sure. I don't know exactly what the technology was, but we figured out something like really smart about how to desalinize water. So just think about all of these things that can happen now if we unlock energy. Like think of a nuclear power plant. Can, can there be some uh, ship that's like a nuclear power plant and it just docks somewhere, plugs in, gives like tons of electricity to a place and then another place can bid higher and then the ship goes there and plugs in like there's so many things uh with energy actually this should be this should be a startup idea using bitcoin as an energy arbitrage across different areas like you know we talked about bitcoin as a battery for energy actually so you know how to harness that battery because it isn't it isn't right but you basically create you, you create free energy, send it across, and buy expensive energy. That's one way of doing it. But I wonder if we can use making a virtual ship. That's going to be for part three of our... We should have an ideation part three. Talk, yeah. talk about what this looks like. We, you, you and I do a lot of... This is actually a good idea. We do a lot of ideation, right? Why not just record it and see how... Well, let's see how we think and how we break the idea and just kind of create business structure around various ideas. And if anybody wants to steal our nuclear power plant ship idea, please do it. I'm putting it in the public domain uh, for the sake of humanity. Public domain, nuclear ship. All right. That was Russia, Ukraine, bullish in the long term, really bearish on Russia in the any term, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so like us, subscribe us, part three. We'll do some ideation around um, nuclear ideation. About? Nuclear, nuclear Bitcoin, nuclear coin, nuclear coin, iron coin, ionized coin. Yep. I know, I know the, the icon of the nuclear coin will be like those little. Yeah. <laughs> Great minds think alike. All right, Shimon. Thank you all for listening. Like, subscribe, and in the meantime, have a great day.